as they're on their way out, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Gospel of Mark chapter 5. We're going to jump into the middle of a text that tells us the story of a man named Jairus. He's a leader in the synagogue who is on his way with Jesus to the house where his daughter lies deathly ill. Uh, He has requested as a synagogue leader, as a respectable man in his community, that the Savior come to his house and heal his daughter. All right, In the middle of this journey to the place where Jesus is going, there is an interruption, okay? Uh, An interruption that leads into the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Verse 24, second half of verse 24 of Mark 5 says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Okay, so the picture is Jesus is moving towards the house of Jairus, the respected synagogue leader. A crowd is pressing around him so that he's barely able to get through it. If you've seen pictures of what paparazzi does to people, that's the picture here. Jesus' rising popularity has attracted large crowds to him. His miraculous capacity to change lives is attracting the attention of a watching world. Enter into that, verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding or internal hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, alleged healers, and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought or was saying to herself, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, from the scourge. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the the, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? How many dozens of people could answer that question at that moment? That's what the disciples are thinking. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Matthew gives us more clarity. He was looking for the woman. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came. She fell at his feet, trembling With fear, literally shaking. The word is tremas. She trembled. She told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed or saved from your suffering. Now you might say this morning, Pastor Tim, why would you preach from that text on a baptism Sunday? seems like a perhaps a strange place to start. And what I'd ask you to do is this. Bear with me as we just work through it quickly and see the importance of this text on the issue of testifying publicly to the grace of God in your life. As we enter into the story, we meet a woman. A woman who is literally at the end of her resources. She's come to the end of all human attempts, of all of her resources. What has she lost in this text? Now, just The text says that she has tried many doctors. 
She's going to many people to find a resolution to this physical struggle that has brought pain and misery and alienation in her life. She's at the end of her resources. What has this woman lost? She's lost her health. The text indicates that she's in a state of constant pain. Literally, the word is, it's a bit of a scourge. It's a deep trouble to her life. She's also financially bankrupt. She's lost her health. She's lost all of her money. She's at the end of herself. Everything is gone. And the text at the end of verse 26 says, instead of getting better, she grew worse. So physically, she is wasting away from this internal hemorrhage decade long. Okay, hard for us to imagine in our culture. Why? Because we can go to someone and find help. This woman couldn't find help. She spent everything she had. She is physically a mess. Financially, her life is a disaster. And here's the third thing that happens to her and to any woman in that culture because of this issue of blood, as some of the translations will say, she was considered ceremonially unclean. Therefore, she couldn't participate in the normal activities of life. Folks, understand this. Okay, and you're stepping back over 2,000 years. Sitting on a chair would cause that chair to become unclean for 24 hours. Okay, so she was a social outcast living in what? In a small town. Well, guess what happens in a small town? Word gets around. that Her... Her reputation of her physical need and the physical need was often equated with some type of spiritual deficiency. She's a broken woman who has been alienated. She is socially stigmatized. Has been an outcast in her own culture for more than a decade. She is truly an outsider. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus. And I just love this statement. Okay, in the midst of this Ongoing horror that is her life. What does she hear? She hears about Jesus. All the reputation, all the miracles, all that he's done. It washes over her and begins to fill her with what? Something she hasn't experienced for 12 years. A bit of hope that something in her life could change. That, that someone could come in and, and, and t- take away the alienation and reunite her with her culture. Reunite her with her God. That's what she's hoping for. Make her whole again. Jesus meets her when she comes to him in this place of desperation where her circumstances are driving her to Jesus as the source of hope. She makes a decision. Realizing the desperate nature of her situation, she says, I am going to make a decision about this man, Jesus, that is passing through. What's the decision that she makes? The decision is, I'm going to go seek help. But think about this, folks. Would somebody with this personal of an issue, an internal hemorrhaging, a bleeding that probably at some level dealt with the menstrual cycle for her, would you go publicly and say, hey, this is an issue I have. I would like a resolution to it. You know what the answer is? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because the problem in itself, in and of itself, is an embarrassment. It's a social stigma that led to ceremonial ceremony uncleanness and bankruptcy in her life. It's not like she could go and say, hey, i got a withered hand. Help me out. And so she makes a decision. What's the decision? I'm going to go to Jesus. How? I'm going to go secretly. Her decision in verse 27 is, I'm going to go up through the crowd. A throng of people, 
pressing against Christ, her strategy is, I'm going to sneak through. And what's her plan? Her plan is, I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment. That's all I want to do. And why does she do that? Because she had this conviction, this faith, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could alter her life, could bring to her deliverance. Her goal, remain unnoticed. So, And if you say to me, Tim, how do you know she wants to remain unnoticed, out of the limelight? Because she sneaks up behind him. Okay, her goal to... And just just picture this. What does she want to do? She wants to grasp the hem of his garment. With what conviction? That if I can do that, my life will change forever. Folks, I don't know about you, but I look at that and say, you know what? That is an astonishing faith. What brought her there? Circumstances that were unresolvable. And she finally heard about someone who had the capacity to change people's lives. But because of her embarrassing situation, which all of us can understand, her desire is, I would just want to go up. And, 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 and verse 28 is, is fascinating. She comes up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, the, the word literally means, she was saying to herself over and over, this, this dialogue that drove her through the, all the obstructions to Jesus. And everybody has in their life things that keep them from Jesus, reasons they can't get there. She is working her way through the crowd. She keeps thinking to herself, what? If I can touch just the hem of his garment, my life will be changed. And so this thought of faith keeps building and building and building. And she's moving irresistibly towards Jesus. Verse 29. Immediately. And I just, I just love this. Mark uses this word over and over. She grabs the hem of his garment thinking, if I do this, I will be healed. What is that? That is the grasp of faith. That's the faith that sees, here's my issue, here's my problem. I am going to reach out and lay hold of Christ in faith, and my life will never be the same. Folks, that's what faith is. When you come to a place like this woman came to, and you realize the problems I have, I cannot solve them myself. And you flee to Him and lay hold of Him with the eye of faith that brings a dramatic rescue and change. So verse 29, immediately, The bleeding stopped. Just listen to this. She felt in her body that she was free. Folks, think after how long? Twelve years. She knew that when she laid hold of Christ, not simply touched. Please understand, there's more to this text. When Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? What is he asking? Somebody touched me in a believing, life-saving way. It wasn't just a mere intellectual acknowledgement and assent to, yes, He is the Son of God, He died and He rose again. No, it's not that. It is a desperate pursuit and clinging that brought a radical transformation into this life. She is healed. And I, I love the way it says it. She felt that she was free. From what? From her physical ailment. But I think the text is pretty clear. She's experiencing even more than that. She's getting more than she asked for, more than she bargained for. At the end of herself, she clung to Christ. She was freed from her, the text says, 
Her suffering and the idea of being freed is in the perfect tense. It means she experienced a deliverance by Christ that would now affect the rest of her life. Isn't that a beautiful picture? She was healed and that healed status became this new woman as a result of what? A simple act of faith. And if, if you will, in some way, inadi- an inadequate act of faith. I'll touch him and things will change. Was she seeking a personal relationship with Jesus? Can we be honest? No. Did she end up with the personal relationship with Christ? Yes. You know what God will do? God will allow circumstances to come into your life that will break you and send you to him as the only source for help and you will come away with so much more than you ever imagined. But isn't that the testimony of simple faith? That the faith that, that out of desperation, out of personal acknowledged need and a repentance and a confession of that, laying hold of Christ in faith, what happens? Life is changed in ways that the person never imagined that it could be changed. She is healed. As at the end of herself, she flies to Jesus. I would suggest this thought to you this morning. Not until you come to the end of yourself will you trust Christ as you should. Not until you come to the end of your resources, your effort, your capacities, will you really trust in Jesus. Verse 30 is the twist in the story. Because you think it could end right there. And guess what? You could, you could take an abridged version of the story as you could from the book of Matthew and come away from it saying, that's an amazing story. But what happens next is the surprise wrapped up in the story. She is now called out by Jesus. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He, he sensed that his authority over sickness and over life had in some way been laid hold of. I don't exactly know what it means, but the idea is that he sensed that someone had touched him in a way that had altered their life. Here's the question. Will he let you, once he has changed your life, will he let you live in silence? Will he let you live in isolation after he has changed dramatically your life? And I I think what happens here is very simply, he, he, he calls her out. He cries out, who touched my clothes? Response of the disciples, they're the common sense people. Okay? What's the logical answer to who touched me? The answer is dozens. Literally dozens have touched you. And what was their response? Their response is, how can you say who touched me? How How many responses do you want? But he is looking for what? Amongst the, the lost sheep, there, he's looking for one. One. That will step forward and express their faith and trust in Christ. The disciples' response, really? I mean, you want to stop now? We're on the way to Jairus' house. His daughter is dying. And in the midst of that, what does Jesus do? He stops. When Jesus says in verse 31, how can you, or when they say, how can you say who touched me? Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. What does Jesus mean by who touched me? He doesn't mean people that just randomly bumped up against him. Not not the people that simply jostled him in the crowd out of pure curiosity and interest in what he's going to do and what he's going to do and what he's going to do. It's not them. 
Somebody had laid hold of him in a moment of desperation and deep need and had been changed. They had touched him in a meaningful way with deep and sincere faith, not mere intellectual assent to the facts. But out of desperation, it said, my only hope is in him. And for her, 12 years of a scourge, of a suffering, have been borne away. And folks, the, the passages I read this, especially this idea of she felt immediately that her suffering, the word is literally the scourge, had been borne away. You know what came into my mind? Isaiah chapter 53. She touched Jesus and felt that her scourge was taken away. How did she touch him? She touched him in a meaningful faith. She laid hold of him and said, you are my only hope. That's what she says by working her way through the crowd out of desperation, lays hold. And her life is dramatically changed. Jesus kept looking to see, verse 32, who had done it. When the woman, and let's listen to this, knowing what had happened to her. And again, we're in this perfect tense. She knew that something had transpired and the result was abiding. It was not like the temporary remedies. And if you ever go back and read the remedies that doctors prescribe in the New Testament time, you'll come away saying, hocus pocus and often very weird and strange. Okay, that, that'll be your response to it if you read it. And, and what would it do? It would give a spark of hope that would quickly fade away back to the pain of the disease. Okay, she had spent everything for that. Now what's different? This woman, knowing that she had been healed. So Jesus says, who touched me? Conviction comes over her. My life just changed. And what happens? Knowing that, and the, and the indication in the language is something like, since she knew that she had been healed. That's the idea. Since she knew that she had been healed, what does she do? She came and fell at his feet, act of worship, and is trembling, shaking, trembling with fear. What does she do? She tells him the whole truth. What truth? Well, I came up and touched you. Yeah, but why did you touch me? Well, because for 12 years, I've had this existence. I have been a social outcast. I have not been allowed to go to the temple. I am bankrupt. My life is wasting away. Save me. Right? I mean, that, that's her story that she comes to Jesus with. She is unclean. And here's, here's the part of the story that's the twist, okay? If she is unclean, what would her touch do to the man that she touched in this case? In normal fashion, it would make her unclean, him unclean. That's why she wouldn't come up in front. I have an issue of blood. I'm going to touch you and hope that I'm healed. No, I'm going to come in secret and lay hold. Why? Because she knew. Why is she trembling? She knew that her touch would make him an outcast also. But it didn't. Because he had the power to bear away her iniquities, to bear away her sin, to bear away her scourge. Why? He's the great physician, folks. He's the one that changes you from the inside out. He's the one that alters your eternal destiny. And this is what he calls her out to do. She gives him a true confession. And this true change in this woman's life broke what? It broke her silence and shame. She came up behind him to hide. Now Jesus says, who touched me? And she Knowing that she's been changed, what does she do? I did. 
What is Jesus doing for her? You know what Jesus is doing? He's drawing her out of the shadows. He's drawing her out of the bondage of her sickness. He's drawing her out of social isolation. He's making her well. Not just physically. In other words, for him, that it wasn't enough for Jesus that she would touch him and be healed and go away. That wasn't what he wanted to do. He wanted to change her whole life. And his invitation to her to speak in public as a woman at that time was a, it was it was restoring her in a way that she never imagined. That's why she came in private. And in this account, he simply and dramatically has changed her whole life. Why does he call her out? I think he calls her out not to embarrass her. I think he asked her to testify, not to embarrass her, but to do what? To encourage her. To say, Psalm 107, what great things God has done for you. To rehearse that publicly. Get her to confess publicly what God has done. Not to embarrass, but to say that the blood of Christ had made the one who was unclean, clean. And also, what is he doing? I think he's correcting any misconceptions on her part. That her healing was not because she touched a piece of cloth. Her healing was because she trusted Christ. And folks, that's, that's what it's all about ultimately, isn't it? It's about have you come to Jesus in a meaningful faith, not intellectual assent to facts, but have you come to him out of your desperation, out of your circumstances and said, Christ, change me. That's what this woman very powerfully experiences. In verse 34, he said to her, daughter. Okay, what's that? I mean, please think about this. Jesus, who's probably about her age or more likely younger than her, addresses her as what? Daughter. What is that? That's a complete change in status. They do not have a physical relationship. She is not his offspring, not physically. But Jesus calls her daughter. He is changing her status, which any Old Testament believer would know what it was to be a son and daughter of God. Same thing is true in the New Testament. Jesus is correcting any misconceptions, and he's giving her an opportunity to testify to what he has done. Now, You might ask yourself this question, okay, so what's the connection to testifying about what God has done in someone's life? Number one would be this, Jesus meets you at the end of your resources and not before. If you've never come to the end of your resources, Jesus Christ has never changed your life. You know where Jesus wants to meet you? He wants to meet you at the end of self-righteousness, at the end of attempted reformation. He wants to meet you at the end of religion, at the end of moral improvement. What you need is a miracle of new birth. That's what this woman experiences. She comes out of desperation. No one could solve her problem. She couldn't solve her problem. Everything's gone. And she touches Christ at the end of her resources with a touch of faith that says, Lord, I believe Another lesson we learn is that Jesus rewards the touch of simple faith. Folks, don't miss this message. Her simple faith unleashed the power of God in her life. You see, what happened to her, we would classify as one of the miracles of Jesus. But what brought that miracle into her life? What brought that miracle into her life was a very simple, 
childlike, desperate faith that said what? I've exhausted my options. And folks, here's the question I would ask you this morning. Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you renounced self-righteousness as a means to get God to love you? Have you renounced religion as a means to get God to love you? Have you renounced moral reformation? I'm going to be different. Well, you know what? You can't change yourself. Only God, by the work of His Holy Spirit, can bring about ultimate and miraculous change. So Ephesians 2.8 says, It is by grace that you are saved, through faith. Through simply laying hold of God in deep belief and trust, renouncing everything else, trusting Him to change your entire life. So Jesus rewards the touch of simple faith when we cry out to Him in such a way. And the other thing that I think emerges is that Jesus will always give you more than you requested. He will always give you more than you requested. This woman came seeking what? Relief from physical pain. And I'm going to tell you something. If that's all she got that day, how would she have felt? She would have felt that it was a worthy day. Right? But folks, you can be delivered from physical suffering and still spend eternity without God forever. What does Jesus do? He changes this woman's life and her eternal destiny. He says to her daughter, the term of love and affection, the outsider became what? She became an insider. In an ultimate way. 1 John will say it in this way. Behold what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. And I love this statement. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has saved you. It has radically altered your life life. And he says to her, and you have to love this statement, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. What an amazing statement this is. Go in peace. What is peace? To the Jewish people, peace meant this. It meant to be made whole, both physically and spiritually. It meant to be changed externally and internally. That was the the ultimate hope of the Jewish people, was to experience shalom. Jesus says to her, you go in peace. Your physical ailment, gone. Your heart changed. Your heart changed. This woman, who was outside, is now in side, experiencing a well-being of body, yes, but more than she wanted, more than she requested. Jesus changed her soul and brought shalom, brought a, a right relationship with God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, trust in God, desperate dependence, we have what? Peace with God. How does peace come into your life? Peace doesn't come into your life by trying to fix all your problems, all your hang-ups. Peace comes by trusting God to do what you have been unable to do in your life. And when you cry out to Him in desperate faith and say, Lord, these are my hang-ups. These are my problems. These are my sins. I need a miracle from You. And when you come in simple faith that truly believes in the shed blood of Christ, He will change your life forever. And when He does that, He will do more than you ever expected. He will do more than you ever expected. The last thought, observation I make is that Jesus calls every believer to testify to what he has done. You know what she wants to do? She wants to shrink away into the shadows and all is well. 
What does Jesus do? Jesus says, oh no, it's not the way it works. And he invites her in front of that whole crowd, stops the whole procession to Jairus' house, and has her share what God has done. The purpose of the miracle is to deliver her. Yes, at a certain level, that clearly is the case. But there's a greater purpose behind the change that Jesus brings in her life. And that is that she would testify to what great things God has done for her. Go back in, in, in chapter 5 to verse 19. The man who was demonized in Gadara. What does Jesus say to him? Go and tell everyone what great things God has done for you. He saves you and changes you so that not you can say, hey, I am a better person. My life has changed. No, so that you can point to God and say, look what God did. Look what God did. Psalm 50 and verse 15 tells us the purpose of God's work. God says to us, call on me in the day of trouble and I will answer you and you will glorify me. Folks, that's where faith comes full circle. Call to me in the day of trouble, God says. Lay hold by faith. I'll answer you. And you will glorify me. What is Jesus doing in this woman's life? I'm going to change you. And as I change you, you will testify about me. You see, folks, the ultimate end game isn't to put her back in the center. The ultimate end game is to heal her and restore her so that God would get glory. So this morning, in fact, right now, we're going to have an opportunity to hear what God has done in people's lives. People are going to share. They're going to testify to the work of God's grace in their lives. Why do it? Here's why. Because every one of them begged for an opportunity to stand in front of you and talk publicly. They kept calling me and we wouldn't let it go. Okay, if you know anything about service, you know that public speaking is one of the greatest fears that people have. It is. So why, why have people share what God has done for them? Because in Mark 5, it's exactly what Jesus does. Tell what great things God has done for you. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be done in this kind of a format, but at some level, our faith needs to be expressed. We need to take opportunity to say, here's what God's done in my life. Testifying to his ongoing saving work in our lives. Testifying to the initial saving work in our lives as these people will testify to today. Not to embarrass, please understand this, but to encourage. But to encourage. That as an individual learns to speak of what God has done for them, they will find a deep, abundant, amazing joy that begins to well up in their lives. Most are uncomfortable. But as I reminded each of these individuals. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. To tell what great things. God in his mercy and grace. Has done for you. Father as.